Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join today. She's a motivational keynote speaker, world record holder, author, and podcast host. It's Jennifer Drummond. How are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me today. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Okay. I am from a town called Holland, Michigan, smitten with the mitten. And I was into all things sports. So if I did sports, I did not have to do chores or homework. So it was kind of a good trade-off for me. What were those sports that like kept you interested? Oh, I love gymnastics. I love tennis. I love soccer. Um, those are probably my main ones. But I did everything as a kid, right? Like that was the days when you played baseball and basketball and all of it. Definitely growing up, it's like, try everything. Like, don't pick one, unless you're getting to that certain age where you're like, I want to pursue this longer. But with those sports, did you have a favorite? And what was the most special about that sport? Um, You know, I really liked soccer, right? I just, I liked the team environment. I liked having, you had this like time frame that you had to get a goal done. And then after that, you could relax Um, it was just, it was fun. I had great coaches, which I think makes a big difference. I had really good friends on the team. So we just, we played together for many years. So you have that history. I'm just, yeah, grateful. With sports at a young age for you, was it something that you had to win or was it more of like learning about yourself? What you could do better? Kind of like the pros and cons of learning. If you don't get a win, how do you get better? What was that kind of atmosphere like for you? Yeah, no, I was hyper competitive. Hyper competitive. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say I was like the friendly, like, oh, no big deal. We didn't win. That was not me. Um, I was, if we didn't win, I mean, I was going over game tape. I was figuring out what I did wrong, practicing extra on my own. I wanted to win. Who were the biggest inspirations for you growing up? Um, everybody right like my grandma was a single lady and her for like her husband died when he was 38 so she had been single most of her life she played basketball like my whole family was into sports like before women even did sports so I think that I definitely think Mia Hamm was the big soccer player when I was playing and we thought she was all things great and I still love I mean Abby Wambach's retired from the sport but she's done so many wonderful things and there's I just love sport is there something that your grandma told you or taught you that you still utilize today? Um, my grandma just had no room for pity, no room for feeling bad for yourself. She's like, pick it up. Let's go do it again. Who cares? You're wasting today for on yesterday. Yesterday's already gone. So it's very much metabolizing what had happened and trying to make the most of the next moment you have. I love how you mentioned that because I was just with my grandmother this past weekend. She was the same way. Anything, (laughs) like I was talking about, she's like, okay, what are you going to do to get back into it? What are you going to do to get better? How are you going to make the best out of every moment? Because there, she's someone that she wants to take every opportunity. She doesn't want to give away one minute of her day. She wants to go out and do stuff. And I love that you mentioned that about your grandmother. Yeah, same, same. Our grandmas are from the same era, I bet. Yep. What was that dream job that you were wanting? Sometimes we're asked that fun question. Was it being an athlete because you had that passion or did you have a different route that you wanted to go? No, I knew I wanted to make money and because I knew I liked nice things. 
And at that time, women's sports were not paying well. They're still not paying well. So I didn't ever think sports would be a means to the end. Um, when I was younger, I thought I'd maybe be a doctor because that was, I like to help people. And that was kind of a financially stable career in growing up. I got into finance, which I'm grateful for. But that as a little kid, I definitely was like, I'm just going to be a doctor. With the next step after high school education, was that in the finance route or did you go right into the workforce? Yeah, no. So I went to high school and then I went to Hope College in Holland, Michigan. I was pre-med. My chemistry teacher told me that maybe this wasn't the field that I wanted to go into. Of course, I was like, what are you saying? I can do it. Like, what? And he's like, hey, Jen, he goes, see these kids in this classroom? Do you know any of them? I'm like, no. He's like, do you want to know why? Sure. He goes, they go to the library on the weekends. I bet you don't even know where the library is at our school, do you? I'm like, I think I do. And he's like, he goes, you can be a doctor. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that this is what your life's going to be like for the next eight years with these people. And I don't know if that's the best use of your talents. And I thought about it and I'm like, you know, maybe he's right. I'm a super social person. I love interacting with people. I love freedom. I love, I love business. I really did. And so I started moving my major towards um, business and that actually ended up really benefiting me. And I'm making more money than I would have had I gone down the doctorate career. Was there a specific area with business or finances that was keen to you? Was it kind of owning your own company, working as an accountant, kind of what area was that for you? Yeah, so I did an internship in college that was for a furniture company. And I was working for the temporary agency and helping staff the temporary lines at the furniture company. And we could not get these people to work hard enough stay long enough or get enough days in, right? Like we just had, like, there was so much pressure to push these chairs out and push these chairs out and push these chairs out. Then Y2K happens to age me. Mm. And all of a sudden they have no needs for chairs. And we had to fire 200 people that we've been begging to come in every single day to work. And so when we sat in these meetings and these people like cried because they didn't know where their next paycheck was going to come from or they were frustrated that they gave up soccer games and family dinners and all different kinds of experiences to be here for this job in hopes of getting hired in full time. And it was in that moment that I realized I'm not going to be able to work for somebody. Like I can't put my heart and soul into something and know that somebody else in some office chair somewhere is going to say it, whether I have a job or not. And so I knew I needed to get into something that was in the entrepreneurship journey because I think both journeys are a risk. I wanted the risk to be on my shoulders instead of delegating that to somebody else's. Um, I had a friend that graduated from college and he became a financial really good at this and it makes good money and you're expensive. You should try it. And so I'm like, okay, my friend says, do it. I'm going to do it. So I graduated and took a job in finance. I didn't realize at the time that that meant I became a glorified cold caller and, um, <laughs> had to build a book of business from a phone book, but I did it, right? And then you get the hang of it and then you see the benefit of it and then you get hooked and you don't care about the pain that you go through to get to the client because when you help the client out, there's not really a better feeling in the world. 
looking at your time with sports and the skills that you learned, were any of those skills helpful when it came to the finance job? You talked about anything that was similar that helped you. All of it. All of it helped, right? A hundred percent. The nice thing about playing a sport is you have a time frame and then you're done, right? Mm -hmm. So when I had to cold call, the best time to cold call was 5 to 7 p.m. Because that's when everybody was at home and their phones would ring. And you just, you knew like, okay, this is going to be hard, but it's done at seven. So I'm just going to give it my all and it'll be done at seven. Just like when you're playing a soccer game, it's an hour and a half. That bus whistle blows and it's done. There's, you can't give it anymore. You don't have the chance to do that. So it really helped with just framing what I was dealing with and making it manageable. And then um, understanding that I was going to do it. So now if I'm going to practice soccer, I'm going to practice or I'm going to dial calls. I can do it and be grumpy or I can do it and have fun. I'm doing it either way. So the choice is on me and how I want the experience to be. So I think a lot of things moved over. Looking at the challenge side, what did it challenge you to do? How did it make you become better when it came as a worker or maybe it took you a skill outside of the work area? Sports? No, no, no. The finance job. You talked about sports helped you with the job. What challenged you in that job that you were in that made you better, maybe in a different area or just at that job? Um, I mean, I, if I didn't take that job in finance, I would have been a financial disaster. I liked purses. I liked cars. I liked all the things that you don't want to invest in and have a secure future. So getting to help people plan their retirement and looking at what that look, looked like for them and understanding the time value of money mm-hmm. and then different aspects there, like that changed everything for me. I started maxing out a 401k when I was 20 years old, right? Like I knew that that was an important thing for my future. If I didn't take a job in finance, I would have never known that. Did the job ever take a big hit on your personal life? Was it working so many hours or? Zero personal life. I had no personal life in the beginning. Zero. People talk about balance. I'm like, you're not building a company if you're talking about balance because that does Mm -hmm. not coexist. I'm sorry. So I worked 12 hour days, Monday through Friday, nine to noon on Saturday. I would stay extra on Saturday if I needed to get caught up for the next week. And I knew that that's what it took to build the business, a front end career. It's heavy loaded in the beginning. And now I have more freedom than I ever dreamed of, but it still took all of that in the beginning to get to this position now. And I feel investing and becoming a financial advisor teaches you the importance of compounding interest and compounding interest is in all the things we do. It's on all habits that we have. What would you say was the, was there a breaking point at all? Did you ever feel like quitting and maybe stepping away from it? Talking about how you were working so many hours. Did you ever get too much for you? Yeah. I mean, I hated it in the beginning. I wanted to quit. So I graduated from college a year early to take this job. When I called my parents to tell them I was graduating a year early to take this job, they were like, okay, well, you can't quit for a year because otherwise you're going to look too young and then your personality is going to look young based on the decisions that you're making. So if you're going to graduate early, you have to stay at this job no matter what for a year. I'm like, okay, no big deal. Why would I even be worried about that? And then I went to the school and the school is like, yeah, we can graduate. You You just need to take these two classes this summer and you'll be done. 
I'm like, okay, fine. So I show up at my first week of the job and every day I went home sobbing. I'd never heard the word no before that many times in a row. And my calling my parents was not an option. Like I was like, oh, I cannot, like my, I would rather die than call my parents and tell them that I didn't want to do this job for a year. I called the college that I went to. I'm like, do you think you can get me back in? I made a mistake. I don't actually want this job. And my only other choice is to go back to school. And they're like, honey, you graduated. You'd have to re-register and all this kind of stuff. Like you're done. I'm like, okay, well, I'm here for a year. So I can either make this next year miserable, which it sounds like it's going to be no matter what, or I can try to figure out how to gamify the situation and just make it work. And I circled like the date that I could quit on my calendar the next year. And it's just like, I'm just going to get through it, grin and bear it. Like it's one year of my life. I have a bazillion of them left. They'll be fine. And luckily I stayed with it because the company that I worked with, everybody works like 80 hours a week. That was normal. Well, the nice thing about the financial service sector is that we know that industry works. It's been around since the beginning of time, Mm -hmm. right? Like you had to start. So it wasn't that the industry didn't work it was whether you as an individual worked. And so then if you can do two years in one year, you double the success that you normally would have. So then my first year out of college, I was extremely financially successful, making more money than I thought I'd be able to make. Well, that motivated me to continue to want to do it. I think that's something that a lot of kids nowadays don't even realize. Like they kind of go for that passion and without having that realization that having that financial success can help them get to where they want. And even working those 80 hours, like you mentioned, there was a better payoff at the end of that. Yeah. Like I'm doing my passion stuff now, right? Like I didn't get to do it in my twenties. I had to do something that paid the bills and built the bank account. And now that that happened, now I have a lot of flexibility and freedom to decide to do what I want to do and how I want it to look. But if I didn't front load that, and I still had, I mean, I'd still be hustling. Was there ever a big accomplishment that you had while working in the financial sector? Um, They kept track of us as advisors, like how our stats were and what we were doing. And when they kept those stats on the wall, like I was the number one first year advisor. And that was important to me um, because- I'm competitive. Mm -hmm. So I drank the Kool-Aid and played the game and did the thing. And like, I look back at it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was that. I mean, I was so perfect for their system. They couldn't have had (laughs) like a better human to thrive in that type of environment. But um, at the same time, I'm grateful for it. Right. Like I, that, that led me to where I am today. So I wouldn't change anything. When did you find your passion um, opportunities, like the outside of the financial job, when did you find those moments or ideas that you were like excited about? Did, when did it really start? Yeah. I mean, I think once I started having kids, right. And then I started hiring myself out of a job and I started getting into kids stuff. And then I, we moved to park city in 2015 for just a more outdoorsy lifestyle and then started leaning into running and hiking and biking and all the things that this town had to offer. Um, And then I got in that horrible car wreck, right? That horrible car wreck in 2018 should have taken my life and didn't. And that really woke me up saying, wow, I do not get to choose when I die, Mm -hmm. but I sure get to choose how I live. And am I choosing to live a life that I am proud of? I just realized like there's so many things I wanted to see and do and experience and explore that 
in 2019, I made a huge bucket list. And it was no longer like, oh, I need to be at the top or I need to be number one or I need to summit the mountain. It was now like, I just want to know, how does it feel? Is it cool? Is it not cool? Like, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think. I care that if I died in 10 years, have I seen the world? Do I know what it looks like? I want to know what a grape tastes like in Spain. I want to know what a sunset looks like in Australia. Like those things are interesting to me. You talked about the car accident. After that moment happened, the recovery process, how did that play mentally for you? You kind of talked about that you wanted to take this opportunity to really go and do everything you wanted to do, create that bucket list. But did it play mentally a challenge for you? with have using those bucket list items as like maybe a coping mechanism. Um, the car wreck played games with me in the car. So it was hard. I, I, I totaled my car. Um, the police rebuilt the accident over 50 different times and couldn't build a scenario where I lived. And so when I went to go get a new car, I remember sitting in the parking lot of the dealership for about 45 minutes figuring out how I could have the courage to actually pull into the road. And for the first six months after the accident, every single time I passed the semi, my heart would race. I would, my brain would be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. But my body remembered my body would just go nuts. So that was, that was challenging. Um, Other than that, like the big difference was, Prior to the accident, if my kids were fighting, I'd get involved. Like, stop fighting. You don't need to fight, blah, 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 blah. After the accident, I just watched them fight. It's like, wow, isn't it cool that I have two humans that came out of this body that have entirely different opinions and they care so much about their opinion that they want their sibling to feel the same thing? I mean, that's kind of cool to think about. So like things that I used to judge as right or wrong, now is just getting to experience them and let them be what they are and not add or subtract from it and just have everything be, this is the experience. Okay, this is what we're doing. One of your fun challenges you've done is climbing summits. When yeah. did you want to have that moment and climb those summits? Was that when you moved to Park City and being outside and then maybe that was always a dream? Yeah, you know, I didn't really know much about mountains. We didn't go travel to mountains when I was growing up. Um, we went to Florida. And so when we moved out to Park City, I fell in love with the mountains. I did a big climb in the Grand Teton, Jackson National, Teton National Forest. And when I did the Grand, I was like, wow, this is a great experience. I love this. I can't wait to do this again. And then life got busy. So I didn't really do it again. And I was waiting till my kids got older. And then the car accident happened. And on my list of things to do was climb a mountain. Well, in 2020, I was turning 40. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday and launch this decade with the significant climb. And I talked to some friends that were into mountaineering and they're like, hey, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, what would it be? And all of them said, Ama de Blom. I'm like, I don't know Ama de Blom. What are you talking about? Like, And they go, Ama de Blom is a mountain located in Nepal. It's the Paramount Pictures logo. It means the mother's necklace. And it's a gorgeous climb. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to climb Ama de Blom for my mountain on my bucket list to launch my 40th, like my 40s. And then as we all remember in 2020, COVID strikes. Yeah. And we're not traveling anywhere. Mountains are not being climbed. And in fact, my seven children are not in school. And now I have to homeschool them because all the schools shut down. 
And one of my sons was struggling with his math homework. And I'm like, hey, buddy, we do hard things. Like, you've got this. And he looks at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of oh. a real mountain like Mount Everest? I'm like, honey, it's Ama de Blom, not I'm a dumb blonde, but thank you. <laughs> Finish your homework and we'll look at Everest. And so he did and we did and he went to bed and I thought about it more and I said, you know what? Maybe I should climb Everest. If this is the hardest thing in the whole world that he can think of, I'm going to climb it and show him that whatever Everest is, we're capable of climbing. And so I called a coach and a coach said, yeah, I can get you ready. You have the fitness background. This will be fine. And he goes, I'm going to mail you a book about becoming an uphill athlete because that's kind of new. And I'm like, okay, perfect. So he mails me a book. And in the front of the book, there's a foreword about a, a lady who got a Guinness world record for doing something in the Alps. I read it at a time where I was just getting beat up by the kids. Like homeschooling was not working. I was not a cool mom. I talked to my coach and I said, I could have done that. Like I can suffer. If I got a Guinness world record, my kids would think I'm the coolest mom in the whole world. And I am not a cool mom right now. My coach laughed. He's like, I'll think of something. I'm like, okay, fine. But I know the Guinness world record. Okay. I'm not growing pumpkins or speed eating hot dogs or like any of the crazy things that people do to get into that book. It's like, no worries. I got you. I got you. So he called me a few weeks later and he goes, Jen, I've got the perfect record for you. I'm like, okay. He's like, I think you should become the first female to climb the seven second summits. I don't even know what these are at this point. I'm like, what are the seven second summits? He's like, let, let me share. Let me share. He goes, they're the second highest point on each of the seven continents. It's actually harder to climb the seven seconds than it is the seven firsts. It's only been done by one male. And you'd be the first female to do it. And it's seven continents. There's seven mountains and you have seven children. So to me, it sounds like a jackpot. Like it kind of does. So I looked into it and I said, yes. What does it mean to have that opportunity to go to each of those seven mountains and be able to accomplish that? Yeah, I mean, it means whatever you want it to mean. To me, it was just a way of connecting to the world, meeting people in different cultures and different ways of doing life and having a pursuit that unified us no matter what our language was or what our thoughts were or whatever nature's nature keeps the game. Even you can't be smarter. You can't buy your way up a mountain. It was, was just, yeah. Was this your first time internationally traveling to those locations or were you? Um, I mean, I traveled internationally before, but this is the first time I went to these specific locations for these specific mountains. Is there a memorable one, one that, kind of was breathtaking for you when you look back at it. I mean, they are all so gorgeous, right? Like every mountain is just such a unique story and way of being. I will say that being in Antarctica was pretty magical. It, the whole continent is just a unique thing without any life, without any color. And I was, I think our team was 15 through 20 to summit. So it really didn't have that many people on the mountain ever before in its history. So we took a lot of notes to help the next people after us. And it was a pretty surreal experience. How long was that task for you? How long did it take you to accomplish those seven locations? Yeah. So mountains have climbing seasons. 
So you can only climb them at certain times of the year. That's why you see Everest summits in May and K2 summits in July. I would say that it took me two and a half years, right? I started in December of 2020 and then um, two mountains I failed. So K2 took two attempts, Mount Logan took two attempts. And a lot of it was climbing and then coming home and then climbing and then coming home and climbing and coming home and just taking them off as I could. What was kind of the reaction of your kids and your family when you were coming home and you told them about that journey that you went on? Yeah, you know, the technology these days, you keep in touch with them the entire time you're gone, right? So I had a tracking device so they knew what I was doing. I could send 160 text characters back and forth with them no matter where I was in the world. So I did. I had a satellite phone to reach out. Some of the base camps, you had Wi-Fi, so you could do Zoom calls and things like that. So we were in touch the whole time. It wasn't like, hey, I didn't see mom for a week. I mean, they didn't see me physically next to them, but they could still see me typically with some kind of technology, um, which made it a lot easier than what it would have been 20 some years yeah. ago or 30 years ago, right? Has this journey that you've been on gotten your kids wanting to climb mountains and kind of join you in that next mountain that you do climb? Oh, yeah. I climb with my kids a lot. I mean, it's we'll train at the gym together, maybe on different routes, but it's a task we do together. My kids had off of school a few days ago, and I took three of them climbing together with me. I'm going to take a few of them. We're going to probably go hit Africa and climb together. So it's definitely in our blood and who we are now, for sure. What's that dream mountain that is on that bucket list next for you? Um, There's a mountain in Indonesia okay. named Sumantri. That is a disputed seven second summit. So some claim that's the second summit. Some claim Australia's peak Mount Townsend as the second summit. And you are not allowed to climb in Indonesia right now. There's a civil war going on this island and it's been in force since 2017, I think. I flew there in 2022 to try to climb it. That was a big joke that <laughs> we were not allowed. We were kept in jail cells and moved in armed cars and all the crazy things that you didn't even know existed in the world, but do. So I would love to be able to tick that one off the list when it's safe politically to be able to do so and not be shot with a poison dart arrow or something. Yeah, we don't need, we don't need that to happen. That would be scary. That would be scary. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind mountain danger. It's people danger that I get a little worried about. And there, there's a lot of people danger. There's a three-way tribal war going on, and it's been going on for over six years, and it's not safe to be there, especially as an American, because there's a large gold mine there that's owned by an American company, and a lot of disputes around that. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Has this given you more like passions to go after what was next after doing the mountains was there another path that you wanted to go in you know I'm allowing myself a year before I commit to something else I feel we have been ingrained in our society what's next what's next what's next that I really want to slow down and just appreciate what is and not always doing that what's next and my kids are watching what I'm doing mm -hmm. so I need to be conscious of how I'm making decisions and what decisions I'm making because they're learning how to make decisions themselves by what I do. So I'm sure something will come up. Lots of ideas have already floated past the drawing board. I just haven't sunk my teeth into anything yet. As a podcast host yourself, what got you inspired to create your own show? Yeah, you know, someone encouraged me to do it. They said, you should have a podcast. 
to meet people and share stories from where you are. I'm like, oh, good idea. I did a first couple of them and I absolutely loved it. And so here I am still doing it a few years later. I love that because that's similar to my journey where I, because I always had that when I asked you about the dream job, mine was a game show host and I'm not on a game show, obviously, but hosting and talking. And I love the network capability of it where we're in two different areas, but we're able to connect and learn from each other, from our stories. And I think that's so valuable nowadays when you're listening to your guests or when you're on your show, what do you see value out of that? Um, I love to hear how people built their lives, what decisions they made when things got hard, how they stayed in the game, when they decided to pivot, when they gave up, when did they call it giving up? You know, what languages are they using? What words are they selecting? How are they turning their success into something significant? Because I feel when I I get ideas, I get inspired by every single guest that I have. And it's just such a privilege to have time with them and learn their story at a more intimate level. Where do you see as a dream goal for you with the show? What are you hoping to accomplish with it? You know, I've been offered a TV show um, now. So will I turn it into a TV show? I mean, not on a major network yet, but you start kind of on the smaller networks and go from there. Will I go down that path? I haven't decided. You know, right now I told everybody I'm waiting. I'm waiting here. (laughs) So I pick something else out, but I like the opportunity and I appreciate it. It's just, it has to fit my lifestyle. There was a time that I could do a lot more where my kids, like there's a sweet spot with my kids and they kind of grew out of that sweet spot. So now it's a lot busier than what it was. And I want to be here for these moments because they're going to move on. I love that idea of a TV show. I mean, if someone came calling me for that, I'd be like, okay, we can talk talk about that. (laughs) Sure, I love it. With being an athlete and mountain climbing, What has been the biggest thing you've learned about yourself during that time? The limitations we put on ourselves are between our ears. And anytime I start to like doubt myself or question myself, I realize that's just my head telling me stories. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're doing something hard, the liar is going to show up and tell you that you need to stop, tell you that you need to quit, tell you that this is too much. And if you know the liar's coming, you know, like you just have to turn off his volume and give the microphone to somebody else. But when you don't think the liar's coming and you're caught off guard, it's hard to continue forward. So I really feel that's been a superpower of mine. For someone that's listening that maybe has gone through an accident or going through trauma, what is the biggest thing you would tell them to kind of rise to the challenge from that or how you, how to overcome and be able to still live the life that they want to live. Yeah. You know, I don't know the kind of trauma that people are sitting here listening to, and I'm not a trauma expert, so I don't want to be diagnosing and say, Hey, 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 but I can share things that have worked for me. Um, when I was in the car accident, I was hanging upside down and, um, a guy came and pulled the windshield back and started saying like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I could hear him, but I wasn't really registering that he was talking to me. And then we caught eyes. And then I realized like, he's asking me if I'm okay. And when I looked at his eyes, I was like, man, I bet I'm not okay based on that expression. And so I closed my eyes. I was too afraid to look at myself. I closed my eyes and I wiggled my fingers and toes. I remember saying, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And I still do this to this day. 
if I'm overwhelmed or I feel like a lot's going on or whatever, like I'll shut down, shut out the noise of the world, shut out everybody's opinions and facial expressions and things that they're saying and just close my eyes and connect back to my body. Okay. I can feel my fingers and toes. Like everything else is a story. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. And just really like connect back to me and get out of the, the thought process that's spiraling me out of control has been very helpful for me. Another tip that I use is I only allow myself to complain about one thing. So I went on a hike last weekend and there's a hundred things that went wrong. But the first thing that I picked that went wrong was that my pack was too heavy. And so even though I wanted to say like my socks weren't the right ones or like it was too hot or it was too windy or it was too all these other things, I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to pick those. I already picked my complaint. My complaint is my pack is too heavy. Mm-hmm. And guess what? When you say your complaint, your your pack is too heavy, uh, 100 times, you get kind of bored of your own story. Like, oh gosh, Jennifer, like let it go. But if I allowed myself to have 100 different complaints, it's like 100 different sticks on that fire. And that feels a lot more heavy moving forward. So if life is hard and there's just so much stuff piling on, pick up one stick, not all 100, and just focus on that one stick and solve that problem and then give yourself some space before you pick up the next one. Something that our listeners like to ask is when you're not working, when you're not climbing, what other fun things does Jennifer like to do? Um... I like eating snacks, like ice cream. <laughs> like I like getting a massage, going to get my hair blown out, going shopping, hanging out with friends, getting a coffee, just relaxing, just being. Everyone's going to want to ask, what's your go-to flavor of ice cream? Ooh, I love a good salted caramel. Ooh. Yeah. See, I'm a double fudge brownie. And That's I- fair. I, I'm too too much of chocolate. Like I am, I'm a diabetic and I'm a person that says, yes, I have to have a little bit of chocolate every day. Cause it's just craving. Like it's satisfying after a long day. Good for you. What's the biggest thing that you like to do with your kids? Is there something, an activity being with them, a moment that you've shared with them that's been memorable? I just like connecting with them, right? Like I, my kids are so fascinating Each one of them is so unique and I love watching them do life. I love what they're into. I love how their thoughts come together. I love how they pursue things. I tell you, motherhood is just the most blessed journey somebody could be on. I was going to ask, what has motherhood been like for you? What's been the most positive things that you've been rewarded with being a mother? I mean, hearing the word mom is probably like the best word you can hear. And Kids are just such a gift. I, I can't even imagine, you know, people look at me like, you have seven kids. I don't know how you do it. And they'll have none. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it. Like, how do you like, what makes you laugh? Like, what makes you cry? What makes you giggle? What makes you like go crazy? I love experiencing life. And when you have little humans around it, it, it gets amplified. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Being kind to yourself makes you stronger. So I really encourage you to just be kind to yourself. The world's hard enough. 
You need to rebuild yourself up and celebrate the gifts that you have and the person that you are. And in that kindness, you will grow strength to be able to make more possible. Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.